this last message is really an extension of what Andy was just talking about before lunch. Uh, I was asked a number of years ago by a pastor's conference in the U.S. to give uh, an address on what I personally try to do to see godly elders raised up in our local church. And uh, it was a useful exercise for me, summarizing my thoughts about this. And it really is the kind of first step in taking the gospel to the world, as Andy was suggesting. So really, you could, you could listen to his last message on outreach and missions, and then attach this as one specific application of that for local church pastors. Uh, all of us, as we were just singing, we want to see God glorified, whether it's going to be in the world there uh, or in our time here and now. Uh, it's very interesting, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse 5, uh, he's talking about having treasure in jars of clay. Um, well, he has a long, beautiful section there. Let me go down to verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people, this is sort of missions and outreach, may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So if we do the kind of work that we were thinking about together before lunch, God actually gets the glory. We're working for God to be glorified. Praise God. That's what we want to see. That's our end in all of this. So, uh, again, reinforcing what was said before by Andy, if you're a pastor of a local church, you must care about more than your local church. You must care about your local church. But you must care about the glory of God in the area where you are, in Lusaka, or in in, in Kidway, in Ndola, uh, wherever the Lord has you. you, Part of your responsibility is to care that God be glorified in that whole area. So in our local congregation, we try to cultivate this by praying through our church's membership directory, where we have a, a directory for all the members of our church. There with their pictures and contact information. But beyond that, in the back, we have things that would encourage us to pray for things beyond our own. So we have members who are out of the area. Uh, Maybe they've just moved. Uh, Maybe they're serving as a worker elsewhere. Maybe they're overseas as a student. And then we have supported workers, a whole section for workers that we support uh, overseas and, and in the U.S. elsewhere. We have pastors that we've sent out from our local church. So we can remember to pray for them like we pray for our own members. We have seminarians that we're supporting. People in Bible college that we want to see lifted up and used in ministry. So we will help to pay for their tuition. So that they are enabled to serve probably not us, but some church somewhere in gospel work. And then we have a list of former staff and interns and where they're serving now, including uh, graduates of this college who we've had the joy of having in our internship program. So that's one way that we, as a local church, are trying to help disciple the whole church in praying for gospel work beyond our local church. But at the very root and core then of that practically is what we who are elders, and especially I would just say we who are the the lead pastors in a congregation, what we should do to try to identify and grow and train up elders. So I'm just going to share with you nine practices that I have that I have that I've done sort of nine marks of identifying growing and training elders some of these are larger others are smaller but this is uh, 
Once I, I found someone who I think is, is able and is interested, uh, once I found, as it were, the raw material, this is what I want to try to work toward. Very much what Paul writes Timothy, exhorting him to do in 2 Timothy 2.2, where he says, The things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So part of our work is not only teaching, but it's specifically teaching others, and specific others who are able themselves to turn and teach still others. So we have a, a prejudice, a bias, a, a favor of especially trying to pour time into those who we think themselves will be active in trying to work to reach others. That's what we want to do as pastors. That's the, the future of our church and of gospel work. So the first one of these nine things I want to point out is qualifications. I want to look for men who meet the biblical qualifications. It strikes me when I think about those passages in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, how similar they are to Exodus 18. Do you remember when Moses is talked to by his father-in-law, Jethro? Jethro finds Moses in a state of overwork. He's concerned about him. It's very interesting with this kind of set of issues that we have in looking to raise up elders. Looking to see what Jethro advised Moses. Back in chapter 18 of Exodus, verse 21. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. They're not greedy for money. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Doesn't that sound kind of like what Paul's doing? With Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus in Titus chapter 1? I also think it's right of us to note natural gifts of leadership. As the Lord committed to our congregation, uh, young men who we think could be pastors of churches, and we can see that somewhat by the way the Lord has naturally gifted them. Now sometimes when I talk about things like this, an earnest brother or sister will come up to me, and they'll take me to James's letter, and they'll go to James chapter 2, verse 1. And they'll say, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And they'll say, Pastor, you should not give a special attention to this certain set of people, this certain class of people. And I think they're wrong when they warn me like that. Their intentions are good. But I think what James is talking about here is Christians who are favoring certain Christians because they're rich. And there might be some financial benefit in it for themselves. He's not warning them against what Paul was telling Timothy to do. Give attention to teaching the Word, especially to those men who you think will turn and teach other men as well. That's the kind of thing that we should do in our ministry. In fact, it's right that those in our church that we think are qualified to be elders should actually desire to be elders. There can certainly be a wrong, self-centered ambition. We must guard against that. As pastors, we must not be fooled by that. But there can be a godly desire to be an elder. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Have you thought of that before? That one of the qualifications for being an elder is desiring being an elder. A brother may have qualifications otherwise met, but if he doesn't have any desire to do it, he won't have the kind of gas in the tank he's going to need for when times get hard, when a situation is rough, when extra sacrifice is called for, if he's going to love his congregation as they need to be loved. That's one of the qualifications that sometimes gets overlooked. But I think we need to remember they need to have a desire for the office. So that's number one, qualifications. Number two, look. And I mean that as a verb. You should look. It begins with this. Always be looking at who God is raising up around you. Again, going back to Exodus 18, that's exactly what Jethro tells Moses to do. Look around you. Find men like this. Philip Jensen in Australia used to speak of blokes worth watching. He was always concerned to find who are the the folks around who seem to be sharing the gospel with others, who seem to have an evident hunger for the Lord and His Word, who are always reading their Bibles, memorizing Scripture, wanting to grow in holiness. Those are the kinds of people that you're on the lookout for. In that sense, our work in raising up other elders is opportunistic. That is, we want to look for the opportunities that God provides. It's not something that we ourselves can finally manufacture. We're more looking around, seeing we've we've thrown a lot of seed out there, we've planted it, but, but it's God that gives the growth. So where is that growth happening? Who should we be looking at and praying for specifically? We need to have a deep confidence in the fact that God is doing this. It is His work. He desires there to be God-glorifying churches in Zambia. He desires there to be God-glorifying churches, not just in this part of Zambia, not just in the Copper Belt, but, but in northern Zambia, in, in southern Zambia, all, all around Central Africa. In fact, all around this whole continent. In fact, all around the world. And not just in this day and age, but in every age until Christ returns. So we want to see what the Lord is doing And we want to trust that He is doing something. So that when we look, there will be people there to see and find. Now very practically, what that means is, and I don't know if you have this kind of pastor here in Zambia, but in America, we do have pastors who don't really hang around with their own members. That is, they give themselves to the public ministry of the Word, and then that's kind of it. They're kind of done. You'll see them again next Sunday. Well, you know, there, there could be a situation somewhere where that needs to happen. But that certainly can't be normal. Normally, what needs to happen is the shepherd needs to smell like the sheep. We need to, to hang around the members of our church. We need to get to know them. We need to interact with them. And if you do, you'll find things out. You can work to create events through which you begin to see what brothers might have gifts of teaching. Even in my time this morning, you know, I'm praying through the membership directory. So I pray through a couple of pages each day. So I'm praying for each one of these members. Well, even that simple discipline is a kind of looking. It helps bring before my mind's eye all the members of the church every month. So I'm slowly but surely thinking about each one and praying for each one. That means 
I hope that I will be more able to notice work that God is doing in and through someone. So number two, look. Number three, trust. Trust. What I mean is, we need to be men as pastors who believe the best about people. As pastors, we certainly know the worst often. But that shouldn't stop us from believing the best. We should be very slow ever to judge someone else's motives. That's not really our work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. We should trust the best. We should know that God gives different people different gifts. And they're responsible for those different gifts. And when we see a brother in the church who we think may have gifts to be an elder, we need to not wait overly conservatively for them to prove themselves before we advance any kind of trust to them. Rather, we need to begin by advancing trust to them. Like you might some credit in order to see what they'll do with it. Well, let's try and see. So, uh, last Sunday night at our church, Zach Owen preached. Well, Zach only came to know the Lord three years ago at our church. And Zach has not expressed to me any desire to be a pastor. Having said that, I have seen a lot of hunger for the Word in Zach's life. I have seen a great concern for personal holiness. I have seen a good, consistent desire to evangelize. And I'm just thinking, it can't hurt him for me to ask him to give a 15-minute message on a Sunday evening service when I will assign him the text. I'll give him months ahead of time notice, and he can say no. But that's just me gently putting my hand on the back of this dear brother whom I love, whom I saw come to know the Lord, Just gently putting my hand on the back and giving him a little push. You know, just to see what would happen. Now, if nothing happens, that's okay. He's gotten to know that part of God's Word better. He's appreciated more what goes into making a sermon. he's, He's agreed to do it, so he's had an opportunity that he's taken. And the congregation gets to hear him and is built up even by the very fact that toward the end he shared his personal testimony a little bit. But I think we want to trusts someone with opportunities like that we need to advance trust like credit and let them spend it and again i don't know about here in zambia but back in the united states i think a lot of leaders with the best of motives are too conservative i don't mean too conservative they believe the bible too much you can't be too conservative in that sense no i mean they're too conservative and they're not willing to do anything that they don't know is going to work excellently And that means often they just end up doing everything themselves because they think that everything they do is excellent. The congregation might have a slightly different read of that. But still, there's just a desire to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Well, I don't know you individually, but if you have that tendency, I would just shave a little bit of that off and try to take a little bit more willingness and risk to see someone whom you haven't seen teach before, teach. Be willing to jettison your own comfort even and take some risks for the sake of seeing new elders raised up. That's number three, trust. Number four, personal time. 
And this is one of the more important ones, I think. You, you need to give time to spend with him personally. You look at the example of Jesus in Mark, when he's calling the disciples to himself in Mark chapter 3. You know, there are many more than the 12 who followed Jesus. There were hundreds, sometimes even thousands. But it's interesting, in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might, what? Be with him. Friends, that's what we do in ministry. We spend time with people. We get to know how they are spiritually. We try to help them to grow in Christ. We pray for them. That means you have to be available. You can't build walls around yourself. Now again, my brief interaction with the Zambian brothers I've met here is that this is not a problem that you have. You don't tend to build walls around yourself. So this may be more relevant for an American audience. But take it for what it's worth. If you have any temptation to not be around members of your congregation, to not spend time with those who might be good leaders, particularly among the young men, I would encourage you against that. Look at Paul's own example. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow me insofar as I follow Christ. He says the same thing to the Philippians in Philippians 3.17. Or in that chapter of Hebrews 13 that Andy read to us earlier, there's the famous verse 17 that we've gone to several times. But there is that verse 10 verses earlier, Hebrews 13 verse 7, where we read, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Well, that means that they have to know their faith. Uh, Who taught you the word of God? Who are you teaching the word of God? Do they have an opportunity to get to know you? To get to see how you faithfully live out your calling as a husband, as a father, perhaps as an employee in a company. Do they see how you do this? Do you let men come in close to see how you follow Christ? There's a very good book written on this back in the 1960s by a dear Methodist brother. um, Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. Uh, I don't know if that book is known here, but it's it's a fine study of how Jesus when he wants to start this large worldwide movement, begins with just a handful. And he focuses on this handful of disciples. So, practically for me, how do I do this? Well, with my schedule, it works for me to have lunch with people. So I will try to find people who I can spend time with during the lunch period. I'll see them then during my day. Sometimes even when I'm running errands. If... uh, My wife needs some things at the market or the grocery store. And she wants me to go get this and this and this. Well, I'll grab someone like Logan and say, Hey, Logan, do you want to go with me to get this and this and this? And I'll get 15 or 20 minutes in to talk. And I can check in and see how they're doing. Even in the way I work in my sermons, I try to do this. So, um, some of you have mentioned that you follow me on Instagram. Congratulations. Um, You'll notice that I very often on Saturday... We'll have a picture of me with five other, usually young men, uh, having lunch together. And we're at what I call my application grid lunch. So I try to take some of these folks along to try to help me think about my sermon. 
men who themselves might end up preaching sermons. So they'll see how I try to understand the scripture and apply it in the sermons. I think also of the fact that on Saturday night, I will try to read through my sermon manuscript with a group of friends in my study. And I will get feedback after my introduction, after my point one, after my point two. I'll go over and I'll say, any thoughts? What, what, what could be better? How can we make the sermon better? And I'll see what point was not clear, what point they thought was a waste of time, what point they thought was, you know, just generally uh, not what we really needed, or, or maybe some additional application that would be needed. Uh, I've found times like that very helpful for my own education in preaching. But even if I don't learn anything from one of those sessions, the brothers and sisters sitting there learn things about God's Word. And they learn things about how to teach God's Word. So I will take them on trips. So like Logan is here on this trip, in no small part, so that he gets to learn watching what goes on here. He's not giving any talks. Now, he's doing very useful things. Thank you for carrying all the heavy things, Logan. (laughs) If you've gotten free books, Logan in part brought them. But that's deliberate. The elders long ago set up uh, a sort of uh, mandate for me. When I travel, travel with someone else. So that time is captured and used. Try to develop the same instinct them and then. To try to spend time with each other and others. Builds camaraderie and accountability. So in our internship program, we have an intern discussion every Thursday morning, but all the staff are there. So the staff who work in our church, I'm asking for one half of one of their days to sit and listen to the interns talk so that they get to know the interns better and the interns get to know them better. So that kind of personal time is hugely important in raising up new elders or pastors. Number five, delegate. Delegating responsibility to others. Just go back to Exodus 18 for a minute. It's just such a, an interesting example of this. Again, Jethro finds Moses, his son-in-law, tired and overworked. And he says to him right before the verse we read. We read, we read verse 21. But if you look um, up in verse uh, 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. I love how direct he is with him. You know, Can you imagine meeting Moses and just telling him, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Well, brother, pastor, I wonder if some of your own areas of tiredness, even exhaustion, might in God's providence be pointing to areas where you could delegate, where you could actually entrust someone else with at least a part of that work. Now, for me, as, an, as a pastor at a church with multiple elders, my main delegating needs to go to the other elders. And not to young men in the church who aren't elders, but to the other elders. One of the things very practically, and we'll get into this more maybe with the Q&A time, that means for me as an elder, as the main pastor, preaching pastor, is I need to be willing to lose votes on my eldership. So when we have votes on matters, I do not always win those votes. Usually I think our votes are unanimous. But in every elders meeting, there'll be some kind of split vote. And probably, usually, I'm on the winning side on those split votes. But a lot of times, I'm not. I don't know, what, 20% of the time? 40% of the time? Who knows? 30% of the time? You know, I'm, I'm not on the winning side of those votes. And 
I think that's fine. You're not voting on the deity of Christ. You know, we're, you know hopefully we'd be all unanimous on that, right? No, we're voting on matters of judgment. And the whole reason these other brothers are there is because we've recognized the Holy Spirit's work in them and their wisdom. And part of what that means is there will be decisions that come to the elders as a whole, which don't merely fall to me, which then receive the benefit of the elders' wisdom as a whole, not merely my wisdom or the wisdom of any other single elder. And that's a huge benefit to our congregation. But part of the way that culture of willingness to delegate responsibility has to happen. Senior pastor, main lead, preaching pastor, there has to be buy-in from you. You have to see the other brothers who are serving as elders as not merely what we would call in America rubber stamps, just kind of agreeing to anything the senior pastor says. You want to see a basic agreement and vision for ministry or else you're going to have just strife. So you definitely want to be agreed on the important things. But inside that, the practicalities and wisdoms of how things are best done, it's in your interest, dear pastor, to cause the discussions among your elders to be be as free as possible. You need to work to cultivate the respect of other leaders in your congregation, by the congregation. Let me give you a simple example of this. Uh, I had been in our congregation for two years and uh, the congregation at the time was very elderly full of world war ii vets and the young people were korean war vets so that's night they were they joined our church in the 1950s and i was there in the 1990s as a young man in my 30s so i was ministering to people who were my grandparents age they were older than my parents and i was their pastor and even in america that's an awkward situation you know, I know we're not seen to be an honorific culture with age, but we kind of are. And even, even we felt, you know, a little awkward with that. But uh, as we were moving toward eldership, I had a man even younger than myself who was working nearby and was a member of our church who I wanted to get to lead the Wednesday night Bible study that we have. His name is Aaron. And so he was going to lead Wednesday night Bible study. And right before it, I am by nature a pushy and playful person. Part of the uh, advantage of somebody with my size is I can push other people around. I mean, physically. So, um, you know, Aaron was just standing up there right beforehand. And I don't remember what I was doing. I may have been shoving him a little bit or choking him about something or patting him on the head, something like that. Aaron, with not an angry bone in his body, but with typical wisdom, grabs my arms and pushes me back over here, where we're kind of back behind a part of the wall where people can't see. And he looks at me and says, Stop it. Wasn't angry. He said, Mark, you can't treat me that way in front of the congregation. I know that you love me and respect me, or you wouldn't be asking me to do this Bible study. But the congregation needs to know that you love me and respect me. Now, here in in Zambia, that may not be a temptation that any of you brothers would have. You may be all far more respectable than to look like a juvenile person like I do. That may be more an American foible. But you'll have your own cultural challenges with trying to draw your congregation to respect men younger than yourself. You will help your congregation if you learn how to do that. You will build up your congregation's future if you cultivate their respect. That's why I would think you should regularly uh, be generous in giving young men opportunities to teach. You know, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. And we know that Timothy was a young man. 
So be looking around in your church, seeing who there is, how you can help create a culture in your church where this is acceptable, where you are allowed to delegate. Part of the ways they, uh, your congregation understands you're being faithful to teach them the whole counsel of God is enlisting other people to help you do that. So in our church, we deliberately create a lot of teaching opportunities, really as much for the people teaching as for the people being taught. Does that make sense? Let me repeat that. So I'm saying we have Sunday school classes for adults. And if anything, it might be even more important for the men who are teaching those classes than it is for the people who come to be taught. Because they are committing themselves to study that material, to prepare to teach that material. And they're doing that week after week. And by God's grace, we'll have 60 or 70 or 80 different people every year involved in teaching those core seminars. But it may be a matter of leading our morning service or reading scripture or leading us in prayer. Certainly preaching in the morning or preaching in the evening. Uh, discipling. Uh, leading small groups. Their evangelism. Even a ministry they might have in writing. Or in working with the youth. Brother preachers, you just have to be willing to give up your pulpit. To realize that that pulpit is not fundamentally your pulpit. It is the Lord Jesus Christ's pulpit. He purchased it with His own blood. We are there as His temporary messengers. Bringing His message. And we have an interest in His glory increasing. Which means we need to be involving the guys who are going to live after we are dead. In handling the Word. This will bless our congregation. You have to know that you're not building your kingdom. And be clear about that. So you empower others through opportunities to preach. I don't know if you all know the book Trellis and Vine by Tony Payne and Cole Marshall. Two Anglican brothers in Australia. Really good stuff on this every member ministry in the local church. Very good encouragement in that. The Trellis and the Vine. A sixth thing that I try to do to see godly elders raised up. Feedback. I want to model the kind of communication that we have presented in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I've just had an interesting time earlier this year preaching through the book of Proverbs with the lens of the Ten Commandments. So, honor your father and your mother. What does the book of Proverbs say about that? You shall not kill. What does the book of Proverbs say about that? So, doing a, a topical series like that. And in that, I was struck again, reading this book again and again and again and again, how much there is about communication in this book. So if you go to chapter 24 of Proverbs, for example, a a very typical exhortation to wisdom you find in chapter 24, verse 5 and 6. A wise man has great power and a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war, you need guidance. And for victory, many advisors. You need guidance. Many advisors. Does that typify you as a leader in your church? Are you getting guidance from anyone? Are you getting advice? Are your elders speaking into anything about you, your life, your ministry, the church? And at the same time, if you look further down in that chapter, verse 26. So chapter 24 of Proverbs, verse 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. 
An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Not only should we be willing to seek to hear advice, we should give honest feedback. We should say what we think. You want to encourage other people to honestly explore why you do the things you do. You need to be willing to give godly encouragement. I'm always struck. I, I'm, I'm, for years on Wednesday night, I've been slowly working through First and Second Corinthians uh, with the church. And what a messed up church Corinth was. It was a, a very messed up church. And yet, at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, if you look at those first nine verses, Paul gives this amazing encouragement to them. And I assume he's doing that not to flatter them or butter them up, but I assume he's doing that because he understands God the Holy Spirit has really done this good work among the church at Corinth. And if he doesn't recognize that, he's stealing praise from God that God deserves. Well, brother, pastor, it's kind of like that with the young men that the Holy Spirit is saving and working in in your own congregation. Is there encouragement that you could be giving them? Could you be a witness to God's work? Could you remind them of things that you've seen them do? I think you'll find, if you think back over your own experience, that the people who have influenced you the most are people who have believed in you. In an atmosphere of suspicion, men shrivel up and die. But in an atmosphere of love and encouragement, men grow. Friends, that's what we find. We want to receive godly criticism. And we want to receive godly encouragement. Well, there's much else I could say about that, but you get that idea. Feedback. Build in feedback for you as a leader and that others who minister in your church can benefit from. Number seven, authority. Authority. I mentioned this in an earlier message. It's, I think, particularly important that anyone who might be entrusted with a special kind of authority in the local church, that of an elder, would themselves have a particularly good and positive understanding of authority. So in some American churches, there is a blazing dispute these days between egalitarianism and complementarianism. Egalitarianism, meaning men and women, can hold the same offices. There is no difference between them in the Bible. Complementarianism, the understanding that men and women were both made by God, but to have distinct roles in the local church, at least in part. And part of that would be in the leadership that there is in the eldership in the local church. Those, Those are to be men. Well, there are people in our country anyway who feel very apologetic about that. Who feel like, well, it is true, the elders have to be men, And I'm very sorry about that. I don't entirely understand that, but that's the case. That person should not be an elder. They're feeling apologetic about like God made some bad call or some mistake in the way he set things up. No, we we need to understand that authority is a wonderful gift from God. And we see that when it's used well. If If you turn over in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, turn back to 2 Samuel. It's good you practice finding it anyway. 2 Samuel, in the Old Testament, go to the end of it, chapter 23. 2 Samuel, chapter 23. These are the last words of David. So chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, beginning verse 1. These are the last words of David. 
the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. So we have four parallel lines there. These are very important words. Last words, so they're important, but they're the last words of this, the most important of all Israelites. And then here they are. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me. Okay, so again, four lines in parallel saying the same thing. David saying, look, it's not just my words. These are actually the words of God. Okay, so his last words, and they, he's telling us, are the words of God. And here it is. What is it then? Middle of verse 3. When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, He is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. Like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. Isn't that a beautiful picture of authority well used? Authority well used benefits those under it. All the kids want to be on the team with the good coach. Or in the class with the good teacher. Everybody wants to work for the good boss. All the children want to be in the home with the good parents. Good authority blesses those underneath it. It's not oppressive and squeezes them like oranges or mangoes just so you can drink all the juice yourself. No, it blesses those underneath it. Like the rain that causes the grass to grow. That's what happens with good authority. They're going to be in leadership in your church. You want to make sure... They have a good understanding of and a good practice of authority. Number eight, clarity. Clarity. If anyone is going to serve as an elder, they should have an unusual ability to make things clear. They should not be people who, when they open their mouth, begin to make things more obscure or difficult to understand. And everybody respectfully just says, well, he must be very intelligent because I can't understand anything he says. <laughs> well, that's not good. No, we, we want to work hard to be understood clearly. So those people that the Holy Spirit is gifting our church with to be elders are naturally going to have a clarity in communication. And they'll have that in part because they have a clarity and understanding. They've studied God's Word. If you ask them to explain prayer, there may be some mysterious aspects of it they can't explain, but on the whole, they do a good job. They make you walk away feeling like you understand things more, not less. That's what we're looking for in those who are to be raised up as teachers. They are ones who can do the kind of teaching of the whole counsel of God, like Paul said to the Ephesian elders he had done among them. Uh, They're people who can tend to be able to explain why something is the case. Clarity. That's number eight. Number nine. Humility. There needs to be an open atmosphere encouraged around you that encourages humility and discourages envy and fear of man where you rejoice in the leadership of others rather than feeling threatened by it, where you're careful even in the kind of humor you use, maybe you're careful in the amount of personal illustrations you use, lest you build the congregation too much around yourself, like it's a a situation comedy on TV where they're following you, the pastor's life. Be very careful 
Build your congregation around Christ, not around yourself. Build them around the chief shepherd. I want to be more tender-hearted and thick-skinned. I want to be someone who is... And at this stage of my life, I'm, I'm, I'm nearing 60. Uh, I understand I can preach in such a way that at least some people want to listen. I am far more encouraged by Zach Owen's sermon this last Sunday night than I am by my own sermons. I, I want to see young men raised up who can preach God's Word well and faithfully. I care about that far more than I do care about someone liking my particular preacher. Brother Pastor, I would encourage you to pray for and to proceed in a humility, which I trust God has already marked your ministry. Pray that that grow more and more so that you become the chief rejoicer in the leadership of others that he raises up in your local congregation. You know, we can't give ourselves and our congregations to seeing new churches planted locally if we don't have leaders who can lead those churches. The only reason we could, by God's grace, see this new church plant in Chevrolet, about 15 minutes away from where our church meets, maybe 20 minutes away, was because, by God's grace, we had 20-some-odd elders. So four or five could leave them, leave us in order to go see a new work planted, and we would still be okay. When you work to see an elder raised up, brother, you are seeing a future army raised up. Please pray. Give yourself to this ministry. Realize that this is step number one in fulfilling the great thoughts that Andy gave us in the message before lunch about outreach. Very practically, are you seeing the Lord provide new leaders in your congregation? If you look back over the last 10 years, can you see a track record of God using you to see new elders brought up, grown up in His church, And then, some of them kept and matured, others sent out. That's what we want to pray for and work for. Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll have a few minutes break, and then we'll get back together for our time of Q&A. Let's pray. Lord God, you have heard all of those things that we have considered today about membership in your church, uh, the gift you give us of elders, uh, Lord, the work that we have in our own local churches, about seeing what it is that you call the congregation as a whole to be responsible for, teaching each member that, teaching us to take the responsibilities you give us in your word and fulfill them. Lord, to reach out and love to others with the gospel around the city and around the world, seeing new churches planted, and even this first step of that is seeing new elders raised up in our churches. But Lord, at best, at best, Lord, we can build the boats and the sails You must fill them with the wind of your Holy Spirit. Or none of the structures we build will move at all. So Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Send his wind mightily through our churches. Show your love for Zambia and for your people beyond. Lord, prosper these churches. Fill them with men committed to you and your word, your gospel and your people. Lord, cause there to be a superabundance of pastors in this place so that more and more churches are established and more and more are sent out to neighboring lands all around Africa and beyond with your good news. Do this all, we pray, for your glory increasing and for our good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.